тебе ті чари, я без тебе всі дні у полоні печалі, може десь у лісах, ти чарзіля шукала, сонце руту знайшла і мене зчарувала. Червону руту і не шукай вечорами. Ти у мене єдина, тільки ти повір, бо твоя брода, твоє чистая вода, твоє пістрая вода, синий У дібровах зелених По забутих стежках Ти приходиш до мене І не треба нести Мені квітку надії Бо давно уже ти Увійшла в мої мрії Червону руту Не шукай вечорами ти у мене єдина, тільки ти повір, бо твоя брода, твоє чистая вода, твоє пістрая вода, синий from New York City with an Eva Suk classic, Cervona Ruta, The Red Rue. Dobry večer, šanovni radio suhačitabit. Hajo vas vsih na radio peredaču naš holos radio Krinskoho Korinja, kotra podjece vam na bahatomovni radio stanci AM 1320 CHMB v misti Vancouveri i pomereži PCJ radio mižnorodnemu. Pri mikrofoni Pavina Makori, djakuju ščerišale per bute zimnojo nastupnu hodenu, me imamo duže cikavi novene na sredničnih programi. Hello there and welcome to Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver and in international syndication on PCJ Radio International. I'm your host, Paulette Demchik-McCory, Pukrinske Pavlina, and I'm delighted to have you with me. We have a great program lined up for you. This past week was a momentous week in British Columbia and the history of the Ukrainian-Canadian community, as well the Ukrainian community in general. The province of British Columbia passed Bill M-225, the Ukrainian Ukrainian Famine and Genocide, or Holodomor Memorial Day Act. On Tuesday, October the 29th, a bill was passed, and there was a reception at the BC Legislature, which I was fortunate to be able to attend along with my Nanaimo colleague, Oksana Poboraznik, and we'll be bringing you some clips from that. As well, we've got our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is... Kvika Sisek, also from New York, and Dete Teper, where are you now? <music> 
Thanks to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit ShochenkoFoundation.com. Головна мета Ukraine War Amps – це допомога пораненим воїнам та патріотам, які захищають свободу своєї країни у сьогоднішній війні за Україну. Ukraine War Amps представляє програму «Всинови солдата». З вашою підтримкою наша організація зможе передавати принаймні 50 доларів США щомісяця для цільової підтримки якомога більшого числа українських героїв. 100% зібраних коштів буде передано напряму героям, пораненим у війні за Україну. Програма «Всинови солдата» будує унікальний зв'язок між вами і солдатом, якого ви підтримуєте. Все починається з вас. Візьміть під опіку солдата. Підтримайте героя України.
the Canadian Bandura Capella with a traditional Ukrainian folk song, Rozprahaite Klopsi Kony, on Harness the Horses, Boys. Up next is Molodsi from Winnipeg with another traditional Ukrainian folk song, Kari Ochi Chorni Prove, Hazel Eyes, Dark Brows. Kari Ochi Chorni Jewish Heritage is a bi-weekly series sponsored by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter based in Toronto, featuring stories of Ukrainians and Jews working together in solidarity and harmony to restore and strengthen centuries-old bonds and affinities nearly destroyed by hostile outside forces in the bloody 20th century and even today. Tune in next week for another episode of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Every day, more Ukrainian soldiers are killed or wounded by Russian invaders. 
You can help wounded heroes by joining the Adopt-A-Soldier program of Registered Charity Ukraine War Amps. A small monthly donation goes very far for medical services and living expenses and creates a special bond between you and a wounded hero. 100% of your contribution goes to the soldier. Please, adopt a soldier today. Visit ukrainewaramps.ca or find us on Facebook. On Tuesday, October 29, 2019, the government of the province of British Columbia passed Bill M-225, the Ukrainian Famine and Genocide Holodomor Memorial Day Act. This act officially establishes the fourth Saturday of November as Holodomor Memorial Day, joining the federal government and the governments of Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, and Quebec in this acknowledgement. The act was introduced as a private member's bill by Dr. Andrew Weaver, head of the Green Party of British Columbia and MLA for Oak Bay Gordon Head in Victoria. The bill was passed unanimously. On Tuesday, a reception was held at the B.C. Legislature in Victoria, at which Dr. Andrew Weaver spoke. Also speaking were Andrei Shevchenko, the ambassador of Ukraine to Canada, and the president of the Vancouver branch of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, Natalia Yetskevich. Other dignitaries who attended included other MLAs, Alexander Danileko, Consul General of Ukraine to Edmonton, Mr. Alexei Lyashenko, Councillor with the Embassy, Lubomir Hutsulak, Honorary Consul of Ukraine at Vancouver, and members of BC's Ukrainian community. The Luna Ensemble of Victoria sang three sacred and solemn hymns in memory of the victims of the Holodomor, the first one, which you just heard, was a prayer of forgiveness, Rosbinek, taken from the New Testament story of the thief on the cross who asked Christ to forgive his sins. They also sang the Beatitudes, with an emphasis on the verse calling for justice. And finally, a rendition of the traditional Ukrainian hymn of mourning, Vichnaya Pamyat, Memory Eternal, arranged by Edmonton composer Roman Soltykevich. After the formalities, my Nanaimo colleague Oksana Pobarezhnik and I had a chance to circulate a bit and chat with attendees and some of the dignitaries, including Andrew Weaver. Well, we're at the legislature in Victoria just after the passing of a bill that... Bill M-225, the Holodomor Memorial Day Act. Thank you. And that was uh, Andrew Weaver, Green Party leader and MLA for Oak Bay Gordon Head. And you were instrumental in getting this bill passed that is going to memorialize the Holodomor the fourth Saturday of every November. Yes, that's correct. I uh, brought it in as a private member's bill. I gave notice of that last spring, worked to build all-party consensus to support it, was in touch with the ambassador's office, and here we have today a monumental day for, for me and my family to see this bill come through and pass unanimously in the House, recognizing the fourth Saturday of November as Holodomor Memorial Day. 
Now, did, you grew up in a Ukrainian family, so you you knew about this yes. in your in your history. Yes, my uh, Baba indeed. Uh, they wouldn't talk about it. It was something that was something that they experienced, and and I obviously saw them quite often. But it was through my mother, my my uncle Oleg, and my my mother's Lyudmila, my uncle Oleg, and my uncle Bogdan Kravchenko that I was able to. Uh, piece together bits and pieces of the story so I was very aware growing up my mother would speak to me in Ukrainian my mother would read uh, poems about Ukraine and I you know and and uh, so I, I, through my life I've known about it my uncle Bogdan was uh, a Ukrainian scholar at the University of Alberta and written about it and uh, so this is very personal to me and so I'm so pleased it passed today it's amazing to me that to have found I found out about this your background only today listening to yesterday's uh, speeches in the legislature yeah. and it's you know it's it's amazing you don't know who you're walking by in the street or who you're watching on TV who has this kind of a an incredible history. Well, that's right. My my father is John Weaver, and he met my mother Ludmila Kravchenko at the Mohile Mohile Institute at the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon. They met and got married in, I believe, 1960. Um, at the time, women changed names. It's not so common now. So there's weavers and smiths and and tailors all across this nation who have Ukrainian heritage, and it's only because of the uh, the historical uh, w- women taking the name of their husband that uh, it's not clearly identical, but I, I clearly feel like a Kravchenko inside me, and if you look at me, I look Ukrainian too. You absolutely do. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. We also caught up with Devin Goldie, president and co-founder of the UVic Ukrainian Students Society. Devin is pursuing her master's degree in applied theater and Slavic studies with a focus on Ukrainian immigration to Canada. She's also a board member for the Ukrainian Canadian Cultural Society of Vancouver Island and the Ukrainian Canadian Congress Victoria branch. Okay, we've got Devin with us here. Hi, yes, my name is Devin Sarita Goldie, and I am the president of the UVic Ukrainian Student Society and the vice president of SUSC, the Ukrainian Canadian Students Union. Now, Devin, uh, we first met last spring when the Holodomor um, van was out here at the um, muse- traveling museum, I guess. Yeah, mm. and uh, you had a, a great show. I think was was it a little bit surprising for you uh, the interest? It was. It was great. I was expecting that there would be a decent turnout because the bus is so prominent and so noticeable, but I wasn't expecting it to be as successful as it was. We had a couple thousand people come by and actually go into the bus and check it out. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was very successful. And so now we have today this uh, momentous day. It's been a, a long time coming, and we have now Hello to More recognition or, I guess, memorialization of the, um, I guess commemoration is the right word, on uh, the last Saturday of the month. So do you have anything uh, planned, uh, any of those people that you might have met um, and uh, they found out first about Holodomor through the bus? Are you in uh, contact with any of them? Will you be pursuing anything further? Yes, we will actually. We are hosting what we're calling a Holodomor Awareness Week at the university, and that will be from November 25th to 30th. And the goal is to further interact with people that we met from the bus, but also to bring new people in who haven't heard about the Holodomor yet. We really want to work on educating the students, staff, and faculty. So we're going to be having two different days where we'll have an information booth set up at the quad, both the Monday and the Wednesday, where students and staff and faculty will be able to come up and learn about the Holodomor. But in addition to that, we're also hosting a documentary night on Tuesday the 26th at the university from 7 to 8.30, where we'll be showing a new documentary about the Holodomor and specifically Rhea Kleiman. Uh, it was actually the new documentary that was shown on the Holodomor bus. So we'll be hosting that. And Dr. Sergei Yakelchik will be doing uh, an introductory speech for us. And we're also in the process of organizing a food tasting. Um, And when I say food, I mean using the recipes that the survivors used when they lived through the Holodomor. It's an interactive activity that was developed by the Holodomor National Awareness Tour staff. And it's only been done at the University of Toronto so far. They essentially developed three different recipes that are actually real recipes that people used using um, bark, roots, and uh, 
hay, I think. And there's pancakes is one, tea is the other. Uh, I don't recall the third offhand. But essentially, we're going to give people the opportunity to actually physically experience what a lot, a lot of people during the Holodomor had to do on a daily basis to survive. And I think the beauty of it is that it's so interactive and it really puts you in the shoes of the survivors. It's one thing just to talk about or read about the Holodomor, but to actually try to eat a pancake made out of bark is a whole different experience. So we're still working out the fine details on that in terms of where and when, but um, that's being sponsored by the Holodomor National Awareness Tour, and we're very excited about that. Wow, that's, that is exciting, and mm. for sure. So you'll be in touch with us to let us, to let us know. Absolutely, yes. Okay, and how can people, if they want to be proactive and want to follow you, um, how can they keep up with what you're doing and keep up on the, um, you know, the final, finalization of these events? The best way to keep in touch with us is through our Facebook page. We have a Facebook page called UVic Ukrainian Student Society. Um, we post all of our events on there. We also have an Instagram, um, which is also UVic Ukrainian Student Society. And on our Facebook page, there's actually a link to sign up for our email newsletter. And so we send out a newsletter every couple of weeks with the exact details about events and things like that. So if people want to have that information coming to their inbox, they can sign up for that as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Devin. You're welcome. Thank you so much. This is CHMB AM 1320, Vancouver. And more from Andrew Weaver and the passage of Bill M-225. Introduction of bills. Leader, third party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Honourable Speaker, I move that a bill intitled Ukrainian Famine and Genocide Holodomor Memorial Day Act 2019, of which order has been given in my name on the order paper, be introduced now and read, introduced and read a first time now. I'm pleased to be introducing this bill that would establish the fourth Saturday in November as Holodomor Memorial Day throughout British Columbia. The term Holodomor is derived from the words morite holodom, uh, meaning extermination by hunger. During Holodomor, between three and five million Ukrainians died as a, a result of a deliberate and politically motivated famine in 1932 and 33. This bill, if passed, would allow the fourth Saturday in November to be memorialized by the legislature as Ukrainian Famine and Genocide Holodomor Memorial Day. Canada is home to the world's third largest Ukrainian population behind Ukraine and Russia, with an estimated 1.36 million Ukrainian Canadians living across our country. Among them are members of my family, and in my family's case, as part of the collectivization of farms, my deed was shipped to northern Russia. My Ukrainian mother, Ludmila, now lives here in Victoria with my father. In this tabling, I would also like to recognize the Minister of Jobs, Trade and Technology for his continued efforts to have Holodomor recognized in the House. The question is first reading of the bill. You've heard the question. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Those opposed, nay. Motion carried. Leader, third party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I move that the bill be placed on the orders of the day for second reading at the next sitting of the House after today. You've heard the question. All those in favour say aye. aye. Those opposed, nay. Motion carried. Andrew Weaver calling for Bill M-225 to be passed in B.C.'s legislature. And now here is Andrew Weaver with his personal story of his family members who survived the Holodomor and the horrors of World War II in Ukraine. He shared this story in the BC Legislature on Monday, October 28th, along with the second reading of Bill M-225, the Ukrainian Famine and Genocide Holodomor Memorial Day Act. Recognizing the leader of the third party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. (laughs) Honourable Speaker, I move that Bill M-225 be now read a second time. It gives me great pleasure to rise and speak at second reading to Bill M-225, the Ukrainian Famine and Genocide Holodomor Memorial Day Act. As I noted upon introducing the bill at first reading, the term Holodomor is derived from the words morite holodom, meaning extermination by hunger. During Holodomor, between three and five million Ukrainians died as a result of a deliberate and politically motivated famine in 1932-33. This bill, if passed, would allow the fourth Saturday in November to be memorialized by the legislature as Ukrainian Famine and Genocide 
Holodomor Memorial Day. Canada is home to the world's third largest Ukrainian population behind Ukraine and Russia, with an estimated 1.36 million Ukrainian Canadians living across the country, and among them are members of my family. Please let me expand upon the importance of memorializing this horrific tragedy through the narrative of my own family's experiences in the Ukraine. I'm profoundly grateful, Honourable Speaker, to my uncle, Bohdan Kravchenko, who was born in December 1946, shortly after the Second World War, in a refugee camp in the American zone of southern Germany, for helping me with our family's history during and after and before the Holodomor. Tiako Badan was director of the Canadian Institute of Ukrainian Studies at the University of Alberta for many years before moving to the Ukraine in 1991. There he became director of policy studies at the Council of Advisors to the newly constituted Parliament of Ukraine after Ukraine declared its independence on August 24, 1991. Bohdan Kravchenko is presently the Dean of the Graduate School of Development at the University of Central Asia in Kyrgyzstan, where he also served as Director General from 2007 to 2014. Honourable Speaker, my grandfather on my mother's side, Alexander Kravchenko, immigrated to Canada in late 1950 arriving in Montreal with $5 in his pocket and with a family of four waiting in France to join him. Within a half a year or so, being a good welder, and I'll come back to that, he had saved up enough money to pay for the transatlantic passage that brought everyone, including my mother, to Montreal. Born in a small village in Nepiapetrovsk, eastern Ukraine, in 1914, he survived the offensives and counter-offensives during the 1917-20 Ukrainian Revolution, the Stalin collectivization, the famine, repressions, and the horrors of the Second World War. He often reminded his children, including my mother, that he was one of the fortunate ones. Most people like him didn't make it. The Soviet regime was not established in Ukraine until 1919 after three attempts. At the end of 1918, the Bolshevik Party in Ukraine had only 5,000 members in a country of 29 million people, and Soviet power depended entirely on Red Army forces from Russia. In 1919, the Bolsheviks implemented devastating agricultural policies of collectivization and forceful grain requisitions that led to the 1921 famine that claimed the lives of a million people and proved to be a dress rehearsal for a far more ominous famine a decade later. It implemented the new economic policy in 1921, NEP, as it's popularly called, a more market-oriented economic policy to foster economic growth. That allowed private individuals to own small enterprises, but its biggest impact was on the countryside, abandoning the much-hated collectivization and allowing private holdings, including a relatively sane tax policy, instead of forceful confiscation. Agriculture production increased 70% 70, 70 of peasants were members of cooperatives. There were huge leaps in educational achievement. The urban economy expanded, and the Ukrainian countryside had one of the world's highest birth rates. All of this came to an end when Stalin decided on rapid industrialization that meant forced collectivization. That is, the abolition of private holding and forcing peasants into state-controlled collective farms for the simple reason that it was easier this way to extract enormous surpluses through outright confiscation. Honourable Speaker, the fact that agricultural production plunged was not at issue as long as the surpluses could be extracted. I should note as a little sidebar here that this same catastrophic policy was also pursued by Mao Zedong, Stalin's disciple in the Great Leap Forward from 1957 to 60 that resulted in 30 million deaths in China. The country in China, that is, recovered after, under uh, Deng Xiaoping, who was also greatly influenced by the experience of the new economic policy, the NEP, in his reforms built on out in Ukraine. Ukraine has all, was always viewed by the Russian Bolsheviks as something of an El Dorado, with its rich black soil, whose agricultural produce was there for the taking. But it had a troublesome peasantry with its strong self-organization, village committees, cooperatives, and so on, that also served as a social base of the national idea. If only it could be brought to heel, broken, then the rapacious policies would enc encounter little resistance. My great-grandfather, Ustim Kravchenko, 
was part of the large base of the natural leadership of village society that had to be removed. He had seen the world having sailed some 20,000 nautical miles as an army conscript from Petersburg around the Cape of Good Hope to the land in the Far East to participate in one of the last battles of the 1905 Russo-Japanese War. He was stirred by the Ukrainian Revolution and during the 1920s under the new economic plan, he was active in village life and in 1925 a founder of the Village Improvement Society from his village. There were nine children in his family and the parents scrimped to send the eldest three boys to institutions of higher education. The family was sustained by a farm of some five acres, five hectares. As Stalin moved towards collectivization in 1927, there was a large tax increase on the middle and high income peasants. The vast majority of peasants in Ukraine were middle peasants, holding somewhere between four and seven hectares of land. That year, at a meeting of the village council, recalling that at this time these councils played a very significant role in the, in the governing of villages. Ustim criticized this measure, arguing that would it lower incentives of peasant households to generate surpluses. The village council supported his position and voted against the tax increase. A few days later, Soviet security services arrested him and he spent half a year in prison. Ustim was released in May 1928, the year Stalin declared industrialization and the first step of collectivization. The onslaught of the Ukrainian peasantry began with the so-called de-kulakization campaign that involved ridding the countryside of its most productive strata and its natural leadership. The aim was, and I quote, the liquidation of kulaks as a class. Their property was to be confiscated and one group was to be imprisoned in concentration camps or shot. The other deported to Siberia or northern Russia and the third resettled in another location. My family fell in the second category. On March the 5th, 1930, a decugalization brigade comprising party activists, the OGPU, that's the forerunner of the KGB, and urban residents descended on the village and ordered the family out of the house and took them to, a load, to be loaded on a crowded cattle wagon headed for the woodlands of northern Russia, the Vologda region. Aboard was Ustim, age 50, his wife 41, and five of the youngest of the nine children who were at home at the time. My grandfather, Alexander, who was 15, and four, four girls, aged 11, twins aged age eight, and a five-year-old. After some two weeks on the cattle wagon, Honorable Speaker, they were deposited in Vologda, where it was still winter. Women and children were separated from able-bodied men and herded into a church. Conditions were appalling. There was one loaf of bread for 18 people. Children started to die en masse. The mortality rate was so high that the camp commander petitioned authorities to allow children under the age of 15 to be sent to their relatives and friends. The four girls, my great aunts, the eldest being 11, were put on a train alone and sent to Dnepropetrovsk in Ukraine into the care of one of their elder brothers, my great uncle, Dyakov Vasil, a 21-year-old engineering student at the time. Ustim, their father, was driven into the woods to work to fell trees. It was winter and he was half barefooted since his boots were torn and there were only one pair. In a letter to Vasil, he wrote, and I quote, we are doomed here to a gradual death from starvation. We are told here that a bullet is worth more than any one of us, the exiled. So you all together must take care of your sisters and brothers to save them and lead them on the path that your parents put you on. I myself am destined to find a grave in the woods of Vologda Governorate. He quoted a poem written by one of, the fellow, one of his fellow exiles from the Odessa region of the Ukraine. When I remember Ukraine, my heart sinks. Cry, children of Ukraine, grow up in tears, and one day we will cry and sing and rejoice together. As a side note, in 1930, before the fully blown apparatus of repression was established, people wrote these letters where they expressed themselves in a manner that would be simply unthinkable a few years later. My great-uncle Vasil collected 22 such letters he received from various members of our family, burning the originals after transcribing them into school notebooks. He clung to them when the Germans took him from Ukraine during the Second World War as forced labor, where he remained after the war. My grandfather and his mother escaped the Vologda region, 
With the young girls gone, the authorities decided to move them to where the men were working in the woods. There was no place to live, no food, and they lived on the street. There was only one way out, to flee. It was an epic journey of almost 1,500 kilometres. My grandfather was 15 years old, as he wrote in a letter to his brother Vasil. If a runaway is caught, he or she is arrested. A Ukrainian is easily distinguished from a Russian. I learnt to speak their tongue and got a Russian jacket and dressed mother in a Russian sarafan, which is the national dress. His mother had to pretend to be deaf and dumb since she didn't know Russian. They slept in the woods or haylofts and begged for food. There was a dramatic moment on the journey when they reached the river Sukona that they had to cross. As they waited, as grandfather wrote, and I quote, the militia came, they sat in the boat, and I pleaded them to take us across. I thought we were caught, but they only asked, and I quote, where are you going? To work, I said, and they didn't react at all. By the end of 1930, they made it to Ukraine, to Vasil's cramped quarters, and my grandfather was, had to, was about to turn 16. Imagine that. He was just 15 when he made the 1,500 trek on foot with his, with his mother. 1,500 kilometer trek on foot. They couldn't stay in Yepyapetrovsk as, esca- as escapees, they would be punished. My grandfather did what thousands of other runaways did. He fled to the eastern cities of Ukraine, where industrialization created a massive demand for labor. The industrial centers were a cauldron. You could lie about where you came from, and in this period, there was no way authorities could quickly verify the information. He worked on a massive construction site, the building of the Dnieper hydroelectric dam, just outside Zaporizhia, carrying heavy drills up scaffolding at the age of 16. Then he moved deeper into the industrial heartland, Donetsk Oblast, changing jobs if it looked like the truth would emerge that he had fled exile. My grandfather excelled at welding. He visited nearby Brzyansk, a town by the sea where he met my Baba Antonina, whose family were rooted city dwellers with their own house, and she worked in an office at an enterprise and was quite adept at getting him various identity papers. They married, and he was 20, and she was 18. One year later, my uncle Oleg was born in Donetsk, and my mother, four years later, Ludmila, in Berdyansk. The town had several machine-building plants, and there they lived until the middle of the Second World War. The rest of the family by now was scattered, the elder sister in one place, the young girls and mother, either together with one of their brothers or other relatives. One brother, who was a land surveyor, even spent a short time in Tajikistan, but his team fortunately did make it back to Ukraine. He, quote, broke away, as one of the brothers wrote in a letter, meandered to Kazan, capital of Tatarstan, found work in Stalingrad and moved to Donetsk. Ustim, my great-grandfather, died in 1951, far away from the Vologda forests. After the Second World War, Honorable Speaker, he and his wife moved to Truskovets, Lviv Oblast, in western Ukraine, where he worked building wells in the town of Spas. It's a cruel twist of fate, Honorable Speaker, that those such as my grandfather's family, who were exiled to northern Russia or Siberia for their resistance to collectivization and not allowed to return to their village, survived the 1930s because of this. For what unfolded in the Ukrainian villages was horrific. Collectivization was accelerated in the winter of 1930 to 31, and there was large-scale resistance. Revolts and uprisings broke out in many villages. Peasants slaughtered cattle rather than turn them over to collective farms. Draconian grain grain requisition quotas were set that included the confiscation of seed grain. And by early 1933, Honourable Speaker, the average peasant family comprising five or six people was left with 80 kilograms of grain to feed themselves. Peasants were forbidden to leave collective farms and the Ukrainian borders were closely patrolled to prevent the starving to search for bread in neighbouring Russia. One of the worst famines in Ukrainian history that killed millions ravaged Ukraine, the Holodomor. It is one that could have been totally avoided. Collectivization and the famine genocide of 1932-33 destroyed the peasants of Ukraine as a social stratum. The Ukrainian village was silenced and never again rose in opposition to the Soviet regime. Ukraine had not recovered from the traumas of the 1930s when it was plunged into the cauldron of the Second World War. It was the largest Soviet republic which the Germans occupied in full and armies swept through it not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. 
the Nazi invasion, and the Soviet army retreat that involved a scorched earth policy destroying all that could not be evacuated and included the execution of inmates in the NKVD prisons. That's what the secret police had called them. The German retreat that left yet another trail of destruction and the retaking of the country by the Soviet forces. Not once, but twice, the mere fact that my grandfather was a welder saved his life and the lives of his family. Forced labor, some more, some more often called slave labor, work camps were the destination for my family. The war was characterized by unheard of brutalities outside the field of battle. During the occupation, some five million civilians were killed, of whom over 600,000 were Jews. 1.4 million military personnel either perished on the fronts or died as prisoners of war. Every third man in the Red Army was lost compared to one in every 20 in the British Army. Altogether, 6.8 million people and 2 million citizens of the Republic were sent to Germany as Osterbeiter, forced labor. Stalin's appalling unpreparedness to fight the war has been well documented, Honorable Speaker. He pinned all his hopes on the Molotov-Rippentrop Pact. The Germans invaded the USSR on June 22, 1941. By October, Donetsk Oblast was taken. They confronted an army that was poorly led during the 1936-38 purges. 60% of army commanders from the corps to brigade level had either been executed or died in prison camps. The dispirited troops were quickly encircled and surrendered, only to die as prisoners of war. My grandfather, Alexander, was in the Donetsk region digging anti-tank ditches when the German army and the German war machine shattered the Soviet army. He survived and walked to Berdyansk, where his family lived. Once he told my uncle Bogdan about his experience, he straddled straggled through battlefields with thousands upon thousands of corpses strewn across, across the landscape with wounded soldiers in agony breathing their last breath. He arrived in Berdyansk, bedraggled, emaciated, and in shock. While he knocked on the door, his wife did not recognize him. My grandfather, like others, did not know what to expect. His brother Vasila, the engineer, and three of the elder girls had already been taken by Germans as Osterbeiter. When it became known that the German advance in Russia was stopped and they would retreat in the face of superior Soviet forces, my grandfather knew that the steppes of Ukraine would once more become a bloody battlefield. So he loaded the family on a wagon. He was just 28. His wife, 26, with two children, my uncle, who was seven, that's Uncle Oleg, and my mother, just two years old, and with a cow in tow, said goodbye to his parents, promising to return soon, and headed to no particular destination, just west, somewhere out of the way, spot so that the fronts coming to and fro would pass. My grandfather's welding skills provided the livelihood as they meandered and ended up in Slovakia. There, the Germans took them as forced labor. My grandfather to work repairing rail cars, and my grandmother as a highly exploited agricultural laborer with two children to take care of. The end of the war found them in the American zone of southern Germany. Otherwise, they would have been sent back to Ukraine, as three of his sisters were. From Germany, they moved to France and then to Canada. When the casualties of the revolutionary period, collectivization, famine, the purges, and the Second World are combined, more than half of the men and a quarter of the female population of the Ukraine perished. The survival rate of those who had been marked as enemies of the people was even lower. My grandfather was indeed one of the fortunate ones. It's hard to believe, one of the fortunate ones. He did return to the Ukraine. By then in retirement, after his wife, my Baba, had died, he completed a theological degree at the Ukrainian Orthodox St. Andrews College Faculty of Theology at the University of Manitoba and became an Orthodox priest. And with his, with his eldest son, Dyako Oleh, also an Orthodox priest, they visited the native village and held a memorial service, Honorable Speaker, for all of the departed souls from his family, my family, and the rest in Ukraine. That, Honorable Speaker, is my family's story before, during, and after the Holodomor. And my family is only one of millions of Ukrainians who experience the same. Through the passage of this bill, 
as has been done in the federal parliament, as well as the provinces of Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, and Quebec, we say that we remember and that we memorialize the memory of the millions who died in Hole de Mort. Today, we can only imagine the atrocities experienced by the people of Ukraine. And while our, our memories fade with time, let us collectively say, never, never again. Dr. Andrew Weaver on the passage of Bill M-225, the Ukrainian Famine and Genocide Holodomor Memorial Day Act. While we have for years been observing the fourth Saturday of November as a day to commemorate the victims of the Holodomor Famine Genocide of 1932-33, in British Columbia it is now an official Memorial Day. We'll bring you more from this momentous occasion in our special Holodomor Remembrance Program on November 23, 2019, the first official Holodomor Memorial Day in British Columbia. Meanwhile, here is the Luna Ensemble once again with some of the audience and Vichnaya Pamyat, Memory Eternal. Listening to Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio, our flagship show in Vancouver, which comes to you Saturdays from 6 to 7 p.m. here on AM 1320 CHMB on the radio dial and online at am1320.com and in international syndication on PCJ Radio International. In between broadcasts, visit us online at www.nasholos.com to find transcripts and archived audio files, as well as a link to the Nasholos podcast and information about the show. There's also a link to our Patreon site where you can support our work if you like. And our proverb of the week translates as truth does not leave mistakes in its wake. And with that, our time is almost up. So to take us to the end of our program, we have Lvivsky Musica and... Long live free Ukraine. I'm Pavlina. On behalf of all of us here at Nasholos and AM 1320, thanks for listening and Dobranich! Живе, живе, вільна Україна, 
Хай живут, живут и вечно козаки. Хай цвете, хай цвете червона калина. Нехай сдвинуть горе женьки на вечные веки. Нехай сдвинуть горе женьки на вечные веки. Як вороги гляки нас на кил саджали, як же це палили у смолі пекли. Козаки у ката життя не благали, протоль України думи їх були. Хай живе, живе вільна Україна, хай живуть, живуть вічно козаки. Хай цвіте, хай цвіте червона калина, нехай зинуть горі женьки на вічні віки. Нехай зинуть горі женьки на вічні віки. this edition of the show. If you're not yet a Patreon supporter of Nosh Holos, I hope you'll consider becoming one today, with the digital equivalent of a cup of coffee once or twice a month, or maybe even a snack or a meal. There's an option for every budget, and even a dollar a month tells me you value the show and my efforts to produce and bring it to you. Becoming a Patreon supporter will give you the opportunity to provide feedback to help me improve the show, create cool swag to promote it, and swap ideas on how to promote Ukrainian culture in between broadcasts and podcasts. Your contribution will also help to preserve a well-established on-air and online venue of almost 30 years running to continue promoting Ukrainian culture and heritage long after I've retired, which will happen sooner rather than later. Your contribution will help that transition happen, and future generations will be able to enjoy the music and other Nasholos programming that you currently do. To become a Patreon supporter, just go to www.patreon.com and search for Nasholos. That's patron with an E, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or go to www.nasholos.com and click on the orange Patreon button on any page there. Thank you for listening and for your support. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.